Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast where we bring you breaking news, the biggest stories and expert insight and analysis into everything about the beautiful game. Today is a Wednesday edition, which means it's your questions answered. And that's something we always like to try and do. As always, with me is our very own transfer guru, Mr. Duncan Castles. And we're going to start off with news, as we like to do for you guys, but also related to our very, very intelligent and insightful uh, listeners. And we have to say that Padre Mary Francis has been asking us about what's going on with Rodri in Manchester City. And of course, Dr. Castles is the man with the answers. Duncan, what's going on there? Well, I'm told um, by a couple of sources that that will happen, um, uh, hearing from the Spanish end that they fully expect Rodri to be a Manchester City player um, at the end of the summer and are planning um, to replace him as they have to do. Um, This is a deal which essentially Atletico have very limited control over stopping because he has a 70 million euro release clause in his contract. Um, Manchester City have indicated that they're prepared to pay that 70 million for the defensive midfielder who they see as a long-term successor to Fernandinho uh, and someone who can come into the squad next season and uh, immediately be effective for him. He's had a, a, an exceptional first season at, at Atletico. Um, is young, um, is very much a Pep Guardiola mould of holding midfielder, um, technically capable, um, compared frequently, um, not just in the way he plays, but also in his physique um, with uh, Sergio Busquets, of course, the, the player that Guardiola famously promoted from Barcelona B to be um, a central part of his first um, great um, Barcelona side. Um, I would add a significant amount of height to Manchester City's um, defence, uh, something that Guardiola has publicly spoken about his team lacking. Um, I think after he uh, won the title at Brighton, he talked about how um, when when you have set pieces in the box, what you do is you pray to God because our, our players are so small. So, Only one uh, person responsible for that, Duncan, we have to say. <laughs> Ian McGarry directing Brighton as to their, their set piece tactics? No, I, I meant um, you know Pep recruiting players <laughs> under six feet, actually. But if you want to put it on me, that's fine. But this guy is six foot three. And only age 22, Duncan. I mean, that, he's clearly going to be uh, quite a major player in all aspects, physical, uh, for Manchester City. Yeah, and a, a player that Atletico bought from Villarreal for an initial 20 million euros a year ago. Um, interestingly, a player who uh, Mourinho had shortlisted um, on uh, as, a, as a signing for Manchester United um, and put into the board, but uh, nothing was done in time um, before Atletico got that play, that deal in place with Villarreal. Shows you how quickly um, transfer values can increase in football. And, and I think 70 million is actually undervalued. If, if Atletico had been able to extend his contract before Manchester City got involved here, uh, I think we'd be talking about a 100 million euro player. Um, and that is would be the only out for Atletico, would be to substantially increase Rodri's salary there. 
and convince them that it was in his best interest to stay at the club. But as I'm saying, I've got a couple of sources now telling me that um, he is going to Manchester City. Uh, Atletico accept that that is going to happen and are looking uh, for replacements. Um, so another another piece in the in the jigsaw for Manchester City, another indication that they're not going to rest in the laurels, that they're going to... Um, improve that squad significantly they are looking at centre back uh, we told you that they are interested in Jean Cancelo at Manchester City to upgrade at right back um, they are looking uh, and have as we told you last week they've had a a, um, a meeting between their chief executive Ferran Soriano and the president of Benfica Luis Felipe Vieira um, with uh, the agent of Jean Felix present to discuss that transfer deal um, and uh, and it's all about I think taking what is already an exceptional squad, which, what is already clearly the best squad uh, in the Premier League um, what is the most expensive squad in the history of football and upgrading it so you have um, uh, their ideal scenario would be to have two exceptional players in every um, position on the field uh, to aid that uh, pursuit of, uh, of the, the first European Cup. Um, and they're not far off it. You know, you go through that squad and I think that was the difference this season is that in most positions they do have at least uh, two exceptional choices. Um, and defence and midfield was the one area where, where they had a real and obvious headache um, in that they were asking an older player Fernandinho to play game after game after game uh, and uh, and had to have concerns when he was missing um, so if they go and, and take one of the, the best young um, defensive midfielders in Europe uh, who's ideally suited to uh, Guardiola's style who adds aerial presence um, you can only see that as strengthening them once again. Do you think it's safe to assume Duncan that um, City don't expect to be hit the same kind of transfer ban that has been placed on Chelsea given their um, action in the market and their very proactive uh, response to what they need for next season? I think they do expect to be hit by a transfer window ban. I think um, if they weren't calculating on the basis that they were going to get one, uh, given that every other major European club who's engaged in the kind of um, underage recruitment of players that City are alleged to have done um, and uh, if you talk to people around the game there is fairly substantial evidence for that everyone who's done that so far um, and clubs with far bigger status and, 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 and pool than Manchester City um, historic status like Real Madrid Barcelona have, have received uh, transfer window bans I think um, the odds of City escaping one are limited. So um, I should have said, Duncan, sorry to interrupt you, but um, given the transfer window is now open and uh, Chelsea recently received their ban before that, are we assuming that City will not be banned in this window, given the window's already open and therefore that would not be a, something which is allowed under UEFA rules? Yes, I mean, if you look at the way FIFA have implemented these bans previously, they've never done it as far as I can recall, um, during a transfer window, they, they do they initiate the bans ahead of the window to give the club an opportunity to contest the ban. 
Uh, and uh, quite often clubs have had uh, been in a situation like City are where they could see a ban upcoming uh, and then try and get their transfer activity in ahead of that. And I think that's what you're seeing um, City doing here is they, they have to calculate with the, the high probability that they're going to be banned for one or two transfer windows uh, going forward, therefore squeezing uh, their planned recruitment and City are one of the best clubs in the world about planning recruitment long term, squeeze it into one window um, rather than spread it over uh, two or three windows. Would that have an effect on FFP, I wonder, Duncan, on the basis that um, a club could appeal to FFP saying, well, we were expecting a transfer ban, therefore we can buy who we like, can't we? And the last one that um, we get to buy players. Don't think so. Um, I, I've never... I've never seen that um, being applied as an argument. Uh, financial fair play, effectively. Um, I think you have to uh, you have to stick within the restrictions um, as uh, as detailed at present. Manchester City don't have a particular problem with the books they declare for current seasons um, and financial fair play because they they now have uh, declared revenues of over half a billion. Um, and they have a declared profit. So if you take um, those books at face value, um, they, they, they fair, financial fair play isn't an issue for them because they're not in the situation they were in um, in 2013-14 when they had um, huge losses, uh, when they had uh, wages well above their uh, declared revenue. Um, and they were, they were in breach of financial fair play even in in the, um, the, the financial accounts they were putting in to companies' house and putting into UEFA. So um, I think they've got a fair amount of headroom there anyway. And Rodri, one player who looks to be leaving Atletico to go to Manchester City, another um, with lots of speculation indeed, he himself uh, confirmed on social media, our old favourite Antoine Scurdicat, that he, uh, Griezmann I should say, that he will leave Atletico this summer. Now, this is a strange one, Duncan, because when he released that video via his social media um, uh, accounts, it appeared, certainly to the outside world, that everything had been arranged and a deal was done with Barcelona. Um, and yet, the window's now open. Nothing has been confirmed. Griezmann's obviously now with the France squad. What's happening there? Because it just seems to be quite, it looks a little bit chaotic now compared to the authority with which Griezmann announced his departure. Yes, I, you remember a couple of weeks ago I said that I had a briefing from Barcelona that they um, had serious reservations about the deal and the fact that they weren't going to go through with the deal um, on the basis that the players at the club um, did not want him uh, coming to Barcelona. They didn't like the way he'd handled himself. They didn't like um, what they perceived as the arrogance of him uh, having a TV programme in France last summer when Barcelona were on the verge of signing the player, uh, when a lot of the players had worked uh, to convince Griezmann to come to the club from Atletico, um, announcing that he would not be moving um, to uh, Barcelona and that he would be staying at Atletico and as transpired would be getting a huge pay rise from Atletico to do so. Um, so that in combination with the cost of uh, signing him, which should be uh, substantial, 
had, I was told, put um, Barcelona off the deal. What I learned um, earlier this week is that um, there is now a dispute uh, between Atletico and Barcelona over uh, the value of the release clause and how much um, Barcelona would have to pay if they did, in fact, sign Griezmann. Um, And the basis of this dispute is that Griezmann, for the past season, and indeed currently, has a 200 million euro release clause. But that that clause reduces to 120 million euros um, in the middle of this summer. And obviously, Barcelona's plan was to sign him if they were going to sign him, once the clause had reduced in value for 120 million euros. Um, Atletico's argument is that the player has announced um, that he is leaving the club while the 200 million euro release clause is in effect. Therefore, any club that wants to buy him, and the accusation would be that Barcelona had uh, induced him um, to to announce his exit from the club, would have to pay 200 million euros, not 120 million euros, because those actions had gone ahead while uh, the 200 uh, figure was in effect. So um, an interesting and delicate situation, I think, for the player. Uh, we've talked about how dangerous it was for him to, to make that announcement without um, having a definite deal in place. Um, and... Uh, Interesting to see if what I've been briefed by Barcelona that um, they are out of the deal because the players don't want them to come to the club um, is indeed correct or whether that was a smokescreen um, on the basis that they now realised that they had to dra- drag the deal out and they had to fight off this legal challenge from Atletico. What I'm still hearing from Barcelona uh, very definitely is that the players at the club do not want Griezmann there. So if it is the case that Barcelona are actually trying to do this deal and trying to avoid this legal issue and trying to get him for 120 million euros, they face a problem with their squad if they go ahead with it. And remember, this is in the context of uh, Barcelona trying to get Neymar um, back from Paris Saint-Germain um, we told you last week that they've uh, they've offered uh, Osman Dembele and Philippe Coutinho uh, in uh, part or total exchange for the, the player um, that Neymar definitely wants to come back and that Qatar are for the first time open to selling Neymar if the price is right for them. There are very few options, Duncan, for Griezmann that I see <clears throat> in terms of um, where he goes out of Atletico. He, um, if he doesn't go to Barcelona, and you've explained in great detail why that might not be the case, um, there's no interest so far from Real Madrid, uh, no interest from Manchester City. Um, there's no interest really from anywhere. Uh, and he seems to be in a bit of a rut there in terms of what he can do. I have heard just a minor, minor little whisper that there's a possibility uh, in this scenario that Manchester United, who obviously believed they had a deal agreed with Griezmann two seasons ago, um, to come to them, that if they sell Romelu Lukaku to Inter Milan, although that obviously is um, somewhat in the wind at the moment because of the FFP problems being experienced by Internazionale, um, if they did manage to do that, then they would be able to afford uh, both salary and transfer fee 
certainly the 120 million euro buyout clause uh, for Griezmann. And I just wonder if perhaps that's something we're going to see more of in the next few weeks. It's possible. Um, you know, Manchester United's transfer um, policy is so scattergun and so reactive. Um, you could see them trying to take advantage of a situation like that if they can't get the players uh, they uh, prioritised for this window. And they certainly have the money to do a deal like that. They're one of the very few clubs that have the, the financial resources available to take a player at 120 million euros and on huge salary um, uh, and, and get it easily uh, within the revenues and, um, and be able to um, probably still turn a profit for the season, um, bringing him to the club. Uh, and he, he has that stardust uh, that Edward Wood likes. And uh, obviously they tried to get him two years ago um, before he, at that stage again, agreed a, a new contract with Atletico. I think that, that this market promises to be pretty fluid for frontline yeah. players. Um, Madrid have now announced uh, Luka Jovic uh, as a signing for Eintracht Frankfurt. I think that um, probably uh, tells you that there's uh, there's no chance of Griezmann going there. In fact, um, it's not been mentioned to me in any discussions I've had about the shape of the squad that uh, that Zidane um, wants at um, at Real Madrid. Um, they're obviously trying to move Gareth Bale out. Um, you've got the Lukaku situation, as you mentioned. You've got uh, what happens with uh, Jean-Felix at Benfica. Um, and Felix, uh, obviously wanted by Manchester City, basically wanted by all the big clubs in football, and is going to have, it looks like, a choice of where he wants to go. Um, but he is one of the players that um, Atletico want to replace Griezmann. Um, so they are, they've been... Um, quite aggressive in the pursuit of Felix and uh, are hoping they can persuade the player to come there on the basis that he is the new Antoine Griezmann in the sense that um, they took Griezmann um, from another Spanish club when he was quite young and made him the central point of their attack and turned him into the, the player, a player who was coveted by the top clubs in Europe and, uh, and the sell Felix uh, the, the idea that you come to Atletico and, um, and that's the best place for you to grow as a player. We won't expect you to spend your entire career here, um, but we can give you several really good years uh, at near the top of the European game um, in a, an environment that's, that's proven for developing players of your age. Well, this being a very big transfer window for Manchester United and Ed Woodward uh, specifically, given what you described Duncan's a scattergun approach before, um, I can see there be a kind of, you know, last uh, drink at the, sorry, drink at the last chance saloon, um, putting Griezmann and uh, Bale together up front in a, th- in a three with maybe Rashford or Martial. I can see that happening because it's been so inc- incoherent before that, you know, the idea you just, throw in a couple of superstar names and hope that it's going to work out for you um, does not seem uh, beyond, the re- beyond the realms of possibility for me. Um, it would cost Honestly, a lot of money. Yeah, I think that's the issue. It would cost a lot of money. I, 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 while I see Manchester United doing something dramatic and um, a little inc- ill-considered, 
in this window. I'd be very supply, surprised if the Glazers um, allowed Ed Woodward, Willie Gunnar Solskjaer, to spend that much in terms of wages um, on Bale and, uh, and Griezmann simultaneously. One well, you or the say other. that, but Duncan, if they, if they manage to move Pogba out, that's a huge salary. If they manage, manage to move Sanchez out, even though it's on loan and paying some of his salary, that frees up quite a lot of money in terms of the wage bill. Uh, yeah. and also transfer for that squad for that squad. It's true and, and you also have the the strong possibility that David De Gea leaves, which mm-hmm. would also take away um a very big wage bill. So you, you do open um up the ability to spend elsewhere, but you also have a lot of positions to reinforce. Um so it's not just two strikers, you you then need goalkeeper. Um Solskjaer wants uh, a top right back. He wants a centre back. Um, he needs if Bogba goes, he needs two central midfielders, and he needs a, you know, at least one top central midfielder um, to to be the the creative force. If that's James Madison, as you raised on on Monday's podcast, that would be a relatively cheap deal, not a cheap deal, but a relatively cheap deal in, in this context. But um, look, the, the the Glazers like to look like they're spending a lot of money. Um, in each window and certainly the gross numbers and transfer fees have been high but when it's come down to it in terms of um, completely solving problems in the squad there has been a reluctance to do that in recent windows in the sense that you they, 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 they knew if they were listening to their managers that they needed an elite experienced centre-back um, but they kept saying let's try and do a cheaper deal with someone who has the potential to become an elite uh, centre-back. Uh, and, uh, you know, Eric Bailly, very good signing, um, who did really well in his first season and has uh, stagnated since then. Then Victor Lindelof. Um, so effectively, yeah, they can say, well, we bought two centre-backs at substantial transfer fees, around €40 million Euros each. But add those two together, add their two salaries together, and you're talking one Emeric Laporte or one Virgil van Dijk. Um, so the actual total cost, not that high. Um, and a refusal on those on certainly on the second occasion and certainly absolutely in the third summer um, to do what was obviously required, which was spend what it took to get a top centre-back in. So... For me, a lot of what the Glazers do in the transfer market is headlines rather than substance. Um, I think the last time they really went for a substantial window was Jose Mourinho's first window um, as Manchester United manager where they obviously spent a world record sum on Paul Pogba, put high wages down to get Zlatan Ibrahimovic, took Bailly, um, who you know was expensive if you're, if you're buying that category of centre-back, one, one who hasn't fully established himself in the game, and Mkhitaryan, um, a, a reasonably substantial fee and good wages there, which I think was required to get Pogba to the club. So it was kind of, if you, if you take this one of my clients, I'll, I'll help you get Pogba in. Um, and I think they could have done more in that window. And in a sense, there was a reluctance to from uh, Jose Mourinho at that time to make too many 
changes in that window because he's always been quite conservative about uh, radically changing a squad in one window. I think if you asked him now, um, possibly you'd have to ask him off the record, but I think if you asked him now, he would recognise that was a mistake and he, he, um, he didn't realise uh, the full uh, dimension of the problems that Manchester United squad had when he came into the club and felt that those um, four deals would be enough as a first stage window, uh, as a kind of gradual uh, reconstruction of the squad to, to get them headed in the right direction. Um, I think after, after he'd had a few months working with that squad, he realised that there were uh, far more significant problems with them um, uh, and more, most importantly, I think, problems of attitude um, in that they, they weren't a squad of winners. Um, they didn't have that experience of, of being um, players who could be expected to win every, who should be expecting to win every match, who should be expecting to be competitive for every title and who, who got into the habit of losing games or drawing games and thinking, well, that's all right because you know that's what we've been doing for the last few seasons and we can get away with it. It's not just the uh, Giants of Manchester who have been working hard in this transfer window, or indeed the Giants of Madrid. And um, regular listener Tommy Staggs at T underscore Staggs with a Z on the end and a double G, don't forget, 88, has given us quite a bit of a kind of uh, teaser here, Duncan. Um, he has asked us, which of the teams outside the top six do you see being most ambitious in the market this summer, including keeping hold of their current players? Now. I would like to start here because we did mention this um, on the Monday podcast with regards to James Madison. But Leicester City have got a few players, Duncan, who are clearly coveted by other clubs. Uh, we're looking not just at Madison, but Harry Maguire and Ben Chilwell, who this week admitted that he'd had a conversation with Pep Guardiola, who said, um, uh, I love the way you play and... Um, maybe you and I could get together sometime in, a, in the same team, I suspect. So um, what do you make of Leicester City and how they can or cannot keep uh, their star players, but maybe more importantly, strengthen for next season? Look, Leicester City have got the resources to spend. Um, they, have, uh, they have done so for numerous seasons. Um, they, they, they are well-financed and they've done well in the Premier League. Um, I don't think they've got a ridiculously high wage bill, so they've got scope um, to to bring players in because of that. I think you will see a lot of activity there. Not, not maybe so much because the club is super ambitious about this window, but because they have a new manager. Uh, and I think Brendan Rodgers will um, encourage the sale of, uh, of certain players um, because it will allow him control of that transfer money um, to buy players that he would like to have um, in the club instead. So it allows him to reshape the squad in the way he'd like the squad to be um, restructured. Um, and but Ben Chilwell, I think, is a good example here. I think uh, if, if they were to get a substantial offer from Ben Chilwell, be that from Manchester City or um, any other Premier League or even an external club, um, Brendan Rodgers would be advising uh, his board to take that money 
And then I would expect Brendan Rodgers to try and sign Kieran Tierney from uh, Celtic um, if once he had that money in place. Um, I know that Rodgers has, um, has mentioned that to Tierney in the past, that uh, he would like to take him to England when he himself moved to England. Um, the question mark, of course, is whether Kieran Tierney would accept that move. Um, one of the, I think one of the most loyal players in, in football um, in the present game. Um, and I think it would be a personal wrench for him to, to leave Celtic. Um, but I also believe that were um, a substantial transfer fee to be offered to Celtic, they, they would take that. Um, they've had those discussions, uh, notably with Everton, um, and uh, were ready to sell Tierney to Everton uh, last year. Um, the, the, the fee they asked of Everton was considered by Everton to be too high. Uh, Everton said, we, we, we can't pay that for a, a player who's, um, who's only played in Scotland, but we will structure the deal in a way in which you get bonuses as he performs for us and as, and as we perform as a club, um, which Celtic weren't prepared to accept. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in your uh, view on, on what Tierney would do um, this summer as a, as a, as a supporter of his the club. Um, I think um, Kieran Tierney is, you're right, I think he's very, very um, kind of, uh, he's, he's very torn between staying with his boyhood club and uh, obviously all the talk in Scotland still remains around the possibility of 10 in a row and the players that achieve that, should they do so, will become immortal and legends, etc., etc., for the player himself, I think he may have outgrown the SPFL. I know people will criticise me for saying that, but I think that is the case. I think he needs to expand his horizons. Um, and Leicester City under Brendan Rodgers is a very, very attractive prospect. I think uh, Leicester would expect to receive in excess of £40 million for Chilwell um, from City or anywhere else, and therefore furnishing a very, very... Uh, lucrative and tempting offer to Celtic, who, as you said, Duncan, would definitely consider selling the player and they would inform Tierney that they wished him to leave on that basis because that is how Celtic works these days. So um, I think it is an interesting one with regards to um, Brendan Rodgers and this summer. Uh, I also believe that Brendan Rodgers has had several conversations with Harry Maguire regarding his future and has assured him that if a Champions League club or indeed a top six club come in for him, then the club will consider allowing him to leave for the sake of his own ambitions. That's not because he would desperately want to, uh, not desperately want to keep Maguire, but because Maguire is one of those players who I think naturally outgrows a club in terms of performances, especially on the international stage in the World Cup last year. Uh, he'll both be playing Nations League this summer as well. And I think he does have ambitions himself of of moving on. Um, it's also the case that Rogers, not that it's a direct replacement, uh, it's not, but we'll recall Benkovic from Celtic. Uh, and that may well be the case that uh, he would come in as a, let's just say, support player uh, at Leicester City. Um, as for elsewhere in that team, I think keeping James Madison would be absolutely... Um, wonderful if they could because of the way he played last season but as we reported on Monday as interest from Manchester United as well as other clubs um, I think Madison's one of the players who 
might decide that at his age, staying where he is for another season may well be the case uh, that it's better for his career because he knows he'll be a starting player rather than going into the uncertainty of a club where he doesn't know that he'll start every game. Um, and as far as uh, recruitment is concerned, you're absolutely correct. Brendan Rodgers is in one of the best jobs in football right now because he has funds that he can buy players with. There's no doubt about that. There's also no doubt that they, ha- they don't have to sell players either. But it's, it's always the case with a manager, especially in his first transfer window, um, uh, that he can certainly command or at least ask to spend the funds that he generates through the sale of players, especially key players, in order to replace. So, um, let's just say I think it's one of the most interesting of the outside the top six that Tommy Staggs has asked us about. I think as well, Watford might be, Duncan, uh, I think they're also a progressive club who have money um, to spend uh, and who do see themselves as being you know, competitive and, and possibly even more competitive next season. And it seems to me that the owners of Watford will be looking out for, and they've had a good record indeed, of recruiting players under the radar for less money, getting great performances out of them and then seeing them valued a much higher value. I mean, would you agree with that? Um, I think Watford had a good season. They definitely not a controversial opinion. Um, I'm, I'm not sure they'll be as aggressive this summer because they had that good season. I, I think um, they're a club who are run uh, for um, long-term financial profit by the Pozo family. Um, their Pozo family strategy with Udinese and Watford is to uh, use their, their brilliant um, recruitment uh, scouting network to secure players globally and uh, filter them uh, through the transfer market in Serie A and, uh, and Watford and then, and then pick off transfer fees for those players uh, when they're in the shop window. So if they do, if they work substantially, I think it will be because uh, some of their better players um, have been bought um, and they need to, to move them. Otherwise, I think it will be a, a similar process of just shuffling uh, players around who they feel are ready to go to the Premier League and, and be exposed with it. Um, I think they might get offers for Dukure. Um I'm told that they will, and I don't think they'll make any money, uh, substantial money from this, but I'm told that they will try and shift uh, Nathaniel Chalabar out, who's one of the sort of uh, the classic um, great young hopes or of uh, English football player who came through the Chelsea Academy system um, was earmarked as being a, a future top England international, was um, was given an absolutely immense contract to keep him at Chelsea as a teenager, um, which if uh, the advisors around him um, were intelligent with, would have set him up for life um, and he's gone through numerous clubs and, uh, and never made himself a regular at any of those. And I think uh, Watford's kind of the latest club where he's uh, he's failed to deliver and, and he'll be, uh, you can expect him to be shifted out uh, this summer. Um, I think it, we're more likely, far more likely to see aggressive um, investment by Wolves um, because uh, they were only limited in what they did last uh, season by some financial fair play rules. Um, they've been planning to expand their squad because their 
uh, going to be playing in, in Europe uh, for the first time after their, uh, their seventh place finish. Um, the owners have, can't say unlimited funds, but they have uh, huge resources to invest in that club and, and the limitation on them are financial fair play rules rather than anything else. And they, and they, you know, they do need to expand their squad because they know they're going to be playing mid- midweek matches uh, this season. I think they were the, the, the team who had the least uh, rotation of players in the Premier League last season. So I'd expect um, quite a lot to happen there. And I think you always see or you generally see the promoted clubs being quite aggressive when they come up because the because they've just had so much money, uh, guaranteed money, placed in their laps um, by uh, promotion to the Premier League and um, and the guaranteed parachute payments should they go straight down, uh, and they also have headroom on those financial fair play rules um, because they have such an increase in income coming from the Premier League and they have generally have uh, far lower wage bills. Um, in the championship, so that allows them to take players into their squads um, that the sort of mi- middle, lower tier t- clubs in the Premier League are unable to afford. Uh, and we've, you know, we've seen that uh, kind of year after year with most of the clubs coming up. And and with it, we've seen um, a tendency for promoted clubs to stay up. Whereas um, if you looked a decade back. Um, the, the odds generally were that a promoted club would go straight back down. That doesn't happen so often these days, and it's it's uh, I think a big part of it is the change in financial fair play rules in the Premier League, which has aided the the promoted clubs and given them an advantage in recruitment um, over the the, the the teams they are competing with to stay in the division each year. I'd also like just to add mentions for Newcastle United, who obviously are in the middle of a potential takeover bid from um, Sheikh Khaled. Uh, and although Rafa Benitez has so far been quite um, reticent on transfer targets, I suspect, uh, given his history, uh, if there's money to spend, he will spend it. And um, their uh, ambition to do better this season uh, coming than they did last season mean that Rafa, if indeed funds are made available, will uh, certainly uh, be made available. And uh, also, maybe less so to Brighton and Crystal Palace, um, who both survived, uh, Brighton probably survived uh, slightly um, shakily uh, compared to Palace. But Palace obviously have certain players like Arwen Basaka and Wilfred Zahar, who are the subject of interest from several clubs. But if that money came in, then I th- it has to be the case uh, that they need to invest and reinvest in terms of replacing them. Um, Brighton, we know, have a new manager in Graham Potter. He has his own ideas. And I think as a progressive club in the Premier League, they will invest, but invest wisely at a lower rate um, than a lot of Premier League clubs necessarily have done. That seems to be their pattern and philosophy over the last few years, but um, clearly having replaced Chris Hewitt as manager, Graham Potter, I think, will expect to be allowed to bring in a few players or certainly two, three, four players that he feels he needs for the season ahead. So thank you to Tommy Staggs for his question. I think it was a very interesting one. And we do like to um, chat about their uh, clubs outside the top six and, and, and what they might be doing as well. So please, in the future, keep that, those kind of questions coming uh, and we will do our best to um, inform you and uh, keep you updated. Mm-hmm.
We'll go on to our final question of this particular podcast, which comes from at Warren Jones 87. It's a great one for Duncan because uh, it mentions both his favourite person and my favourite club, which is, when is Jose Mourinho back in the game? And is he upset he lost out on the Celtic gig? <laughs> my favourite person is Paul Sturrock. It's not Jose Mourinho. It's just a, no, it's Luggy the a, dog. You don't have to say that. Luggy's Luggy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Mourinho is in a very interesting uh, situation because he has gone through this period when he's been out of work um, waiting for the right opportunity to return to work. He's made it quite clear that he wants to be back managing a football team uh, at the start, ahead of the start of this coming season. Um, His aim was to get a club where he could win. Um, So he he is aware that uh, given what happened at Manchester United um, and how his reputation was damaged, particularly in England, that in the next job, he needs to um, reassert his track record of winning at every club he's been at. Um, therefore, wanted a club that had um, won the, the squad uh, capable of competing in the domestic league, ideally a, a squad keep, capable of competing competing for the Champions League and also a support structure around um, where he would be less likely to run into the kind of complications he had at Manchester United uh, at Chelsea uh, previously and even Real Madrid in the in his final season there when uh, when the club uh, shifted towards supporting the players rather than uh, supporting his authority as a coach after he'd um, given them back uh, the, the Liga title, um, beating the, the best Barcelona side in history and, and setting various records in the process. Um, therefore, he had targeted uh, certain jobs and I think the, the, the job, his, his preferred position was Paris Saint-Germain and uh, he believed there was a good chance of getting that job, um, which is understandable given that they'd uh, offered it to him on at least three previous occasions and he turned it down. But um, as we uh, reported on the transfer window some time ago, um, the the, the powers that be in Qatar did not want to hire Mourinho um, and uh, had decided that they would uh, stay with Thomas Tuchel. Um, And that was uh, confirmed a couple of weeks ago, um, ruling that job out for Mourinho. Two other um, key opportunities for him were Internationale, um, where he knew that the uh, the Chinese owners of the club would like to bring him back to Italy and were interested in his availability. He knew the fans uh, absolutely wanted him as first choice, but um, because uh, the sporting director appointed by the Chinese owners, Beppe Marotta, um, had been um, given control and assurance that he would be allowed to appoint the next manager, uh, Morata decided to appoint Conte instead. Uh, and you can imagine that that did not go down, partic- down particularly well with Mourinho, given um, his history with Antonio Conte uh, and um, his history at Inter, having spent two seasons there winning the league both times and, uh, and being the only person ever to win a treble 
as a coach in Italy. Um, and I'm told he feels that uh, he'd given priority to Inter um, because of his history with the club and he feels like the club has now um, let him down in that uh, having given them priority in this situation, they decided to go um, with a, a different manager. Um, I also understand that there were conversations with Juventus. Um, I don't think those conversations were between Mourinho and the Agnelli family. I think it were between uh, George Mendes and um, the Agnelli family. And there was an exploratory uh, talks about whether it would be possible to bring him. And, uh, and Mourinho, I understand, uh, for the difficulties we've explained in the podcast of, of uh, an inter-manager going to Juventus, but also for, um, in the sense that he wanted to, to give Inter the opportunity to bring him back, um, decided uh, to cool those talks and, and uh, basically um, didn't encourage Juventus. I think there was no guarantee that Juventus would have appointed them. They're obviously, their preference was Guardiola. Uh, they also tried to get Pochettino. Um, but there was a, a talks there which Mourinho decided to step away from. The third big option was Bayern Munich. Um, I can tell you that Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, uh, the chief executive of Bayern Munich, uh, had encouraged Mourinho to believe that he was a strong candidate should they sack Niko Kovac, which Rummenigge wanted to do. Um, Uli Hunas, uh, the president, was not so keen on Mourinho. Uh, would, his preference was to, if Kovac had to go, was to get a German um, coach in to replace him. Um, and essentially, uh, Kunis didn't supply a replacement. Kovac managed to rally the team at the end of the season, win the league and win the German Cup. And a decision was taken to retain him. So all three of those positions out. Um, you'll have seen a sto stories about uh, Celtic being interested in Mourinho. Um, that's a, a complete mystery to Mourinho and the people around him and also been denied by Celtic. So um, if you've seen those stories, have a check about um, who wrote them originally and uh, wonder where that was sourced because um, uh, the idea of Mourinho going to Celtic was a, a bizarre one, uh, both from the perspective of, of Mourinho deciding to step down to the Scottish League uh, and also with the perspective of Celtic being able to afford one of the most um, expensive coaches in the game and we've should, seen what Celtic have done. Should um, we temper that, that Duncan has that um, Celtic were actually too good for Mourinho? Is that, was that what you're saying? I think no it's Celtic in the first place. I think Celtic fans might interpret it that way, but I'm not sure even that many Celtic fans would interpret and think that um, uh, appointing Neil Lennon as the long-term manager was the logical and uh, uh, the most effective uh, choice of coach. If but you he's, had the he's, he, he's a ginger pep. <laughs> I think it tells you what Celtic's budget was for a coach that so they decided to stick with Neil Lennon. Um, that, that would be the, the fair summation of it. But um, as for Mourinho, um, he now has a problem because it doesn't look like there's going to be a, a, the, a job of the category he's looking for available this summer. Um, pretty much all the clubs are fixed. Um, Therefore, he has to wait. And, uh, and I think it's now going to be a test of his patience in terms of how long he can wait 
uh, for the appropriate job to come up because he, he is not a man who likes being out of work. He's a workaholic. Um, he's you know publicly spoken about how um, he wanted to be back in a job uh, this summer, and uh, and I and I think it's going to be difficult for him having to wait through a summer uh, and and also having to consider when I do go back to work, um, I come in potentially come in as a firefighter to a club that have decided to sack their coach mid season. Uh, and I have to turn the team around without having the advantage of pre-season planning, um, uh, transfer window strategy, the kind of things he, he are, are, which are big elements of his success as a manager is that he's a very uh, effective trainer of players, um, has, has done in a number of his jobs a good job of restructuring teams. And if you take those tools away, um, because you have to uh, accept the job mid-season, then it makes it more complicated to succeed at, at that new job. A firefighter who needs to come in mid-season. Let's just um, consider that an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's case, people. Um, you may not think that to be the case, but watch the space. I'm going to surprise Duncan with a very late question we've had um, from one of our listeners. At Kaiser D, I'm assuming that D is for Ducks, Beckenbar, uh, who says, Duncan, you broke the story and indeed exposed us for our interest in Leroy Sané. Why are Manchester City being so ridiculous about the price of the player? And can you try and convince them to sell him to us? I didn't realise Johnny McFarlane was a Bayern fan now. <laughs> <laughs> who knows which fan? We know he's a hun, that's for sure. How many Twitter burner accounts does the man have? Well, Kaiser D. Beckenbar says, why is it so ridiculous that we're being charged so much money for Leroy Zane and why is it that you blew our cover? So come on, give us the answer to that question. <laughs> why, why did I blow the cover? Um, I, uh, well, it's my job to report this stuff when I, uh, when I find out. Um, that's, why, uh, that's why you listen to the Transfer Window podcast because Ian and myself can get you these stories um, before uh, some of the competition, um, I don't think it makes any difference whatsoever to the negotiation process that the story came out. Um, it was always going to come down to uh, how much Bayern could offer the player, how, how much they can persuade the player that his uh, best interests are served in leaving Manchester City and moving back to the Bundesliga. And then also meeting... Manchester City's um, financial terms, and and they're not. They were never going to sell the player for cheap. Um, you know, as as we've told you, the the preference of the club is to get Zani to sign a new contract. Um, they know his his qualities. Uh, they know he's one of the best attacking players in the game. Um, he's still very young, so if you can retain him, you will retain him, um, and you certainly uh, don't let him go in the cheap. Um, how it pans out uh, will be surely, interesting. Surely not the cheap, the quack, Duncan. <laughs> well, how, how it turns out will be interesting because they, if Zani sticks to his position that he is not going to sign a new contract at Manchester City, if he cannot be convinced to extend, then the, the, the same logic that came into play when Manchester City allowed Zani to speak to Bayern is still in effect. 
that is uh, we are in danger of losing this player in a year's time for half what we could get for him this summer and in danger of losing him in two years' time for nothing. Uh, therefore, let's take the money on the table now. Um, it's very early in the window, very early. Um, Sani's story has been out um, and substantiated by Bayern only for a couple of weeks. If I'm Manchester City, I am thinking... There is a good chance in a market where so many of the big teams are um, aggressively buying players and spending to chase the Champions League um, that one of the other clubs comes in, one of the other big players comes in for Sani. Uh, and then, therefore, we have an auction. And you know, Paris, Paris Saint-Germain would be a candidate there, although you've got the Qatar-Abu Dhabi um, war uh, to, to factor in. Um, you could even see Barcelona being a, a potential candidate if uh, if they decide to go down that route instead of uh, instead of the Neymar or Griezmann route. But um, there's lots of time to go here. So if you you know that a, a, a huge club with huge financial resources, which is Bayern Munich, want to sign your player, um, why do the deal so early in the window? Um, uh, especially when they've talked to their fans and told their fans that they want to sign the player, um, then the, the, the obvious thing is to ask as high a fee as you can uh, and see how close you can get to it from Bayern and see if they really are prepared to step away um, if, if the, the fee is too substantial for them. So I think it's very early in the window um, to, to consider this dead, uh, a dead duck if you want, um, uh, and uh, and there's a lot of negotiation uh, going forward. Loving the puns, um, and of course, someone has to <laughs> for the, indeed the waterfall. For those of you who um, have been reading social media and reports over the last couple of days, you will recognise that the same, or maybe not the same, maybe it was an imposter, uh, Franz Beckenbauer, der Kaiser of Bayern Munich, has um, stood up our information from Monday's podcast that they would love Jurgen Klopp to be their manager. We said to, uh, to you on Monday that the negotiations with Liverpool started a month ago because uh, Bayern Munich were interested in the manager of Liverpool and Der Kaiser, where he's duck or not, um, has been uh, quoted since then as telling us that that's true. So just gives you a little insight as to why we are the number one podcast for information that then is confirmed by other people in the clubs. So to you, you get it firsthand. Now, delighted to say that we're moving on to the legendary Donkey Awards uh, for the Wednesday podcast, uh, Your Questions Answered. And today, we're going to introduce the most famous man in the world. Uh, it's not Duncan Castles, unfortunately, but he does have a D in his first name. It's the Donald Trump Award for being the most unwelcome guest anywhere in the world. Uh, as ever, I'm going to give you the nominations, uh, and I'm going to give Duncan the nominations, and therefore, after that, I'll tear open the golden envelope and Duncan will announce the winner. So the nominations are Jose Mourinho at Anfield, when there's a title on the line. I'll let Duncan explain that. Uh, Tom Henning of Rabo, the referee in Chelsea's Champions League semi-final versus Barcelona in 2009, when he infamously 
denied four clear penalties. And number three, the wonderful and, uh, we have to say, uh, democratic and uh, very uh, highly recommended investigative newspaper in Germany, Der Spiegel, uh, who, uh, after the FutiLeaks investigation, exposed what was happening with Manchester City and FFP. Duncan, I'm going to open the golden envelope and pass it over to you to actually give us the winner of this week's Donald Trump Award for the most unwelcome guest. Duncan, what's your thoughts? Um, Vrabo, I think, uh, I wonder if he's ever been back to Stamford Bridge after that night, um, which uh, it's often forgotten, was pivotal in, in one of Pep Guardiola's um, Champions League victories um, uh, at Barcelona. Um, the victories he's so far failed to replace, despite his years at Bayern Munich and, uh, and his year, three years with the with the most expensive squad ever at Manchester City. Um, so, a good candidate there. Um, Josie Mourinho at Anfield, um, certainly not Brendan Rodgers' favourite guest. Uh, reminds me of, uh, of the last uh, interview I did with uh, Jose when I asked him uh, to, to detail his favourite victories um, at his previous clubs. And uh, with a big smile on his, his face, he said, Chelsea second period, I would choose Liverpool-Chelsea because Liverpool were celebrating the title already. We go there with the second team and we killed them. They couldn't score a goal. We were so so well organised. Counter-attack was always dangerous. We parked the bus in an amazing way. In an amazing way. We could be there three days. They still wouldn't score a goal. Now, um, quick question for you, Duncan. Who played, who was their surprise addition in centre-back for Chelsea that day? Um... I'm not good at that. It, it first, it was his first Premier League start. It was, and then and he was praised as being someone who would definitely be a Chelsea regular, and has since not become a Chelsea regular. Yeah, I've forgotten the name. You have to, Callas, you know, Thomas Callas, Thomas Callas. Yes, which shows you the quality of uh, players that they they managed to to win that game two 0 with. Um, Mark Swatch so was in goals, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Demba Bart up front. Demba Bart front. Well, Bar, but, well as, as the song goes for Demba Bart, let's not repeat it because we don't want to offend too many Liverpool fans. So, obviously a great candidate as an unwelcome guest, but I think um, I think Der Spiegel have the winners here. Um, I think... Uh, there certainly isn't at least a less welcome uh, news organisation um, in the world at present. Are you, are you, uh, yeah, are you sure the sun at, Man- at Liverpool is not most unwelcome? I mean, I'm just asking uh, for a friend. <laughs> I think they'd run them close, but this uh, yeah. the, current, the current passion from Manchester City about this um, and how much it's endangered them in terms of uh, their future going forward, the, the documentary evidence that Spiegel have put out there. And I, I think the way that um, I think the way that Spiegel reported this, uh, reported what was in those emails, and while UEFA were considering whether they would uh, charge Manchester City with these breaches of FFP, Spiegel uh, cunningly uh, published the actual emails on their website. And uh, I, I think that 
uh, you, you can talk to a lot of people and they will argue that that pushed UEFA over the edge into taking the action they, they have taken. Um, and having talked to uh, some of the people involved at Der Spiegel about it, uh, they would underline just how unwelcome um, they are at Manchester City at present. So the Donkey Award for the most unwelcome guest, sponsored by Donald Trump, goes to Der Spiegel, um, being not welcome at Manchester City. This week, I think that's a very worthy winner. I'm sure all of our transfer yeah. window uh, listeners will agree that that's um, certainly something which, um, when we send that award to Der Spiegel, they will be displaying uh, in great uh, sort of historical, uh, typical of um, a World Cup uh, which, uh, in in their office, and um, and and hopefully you know we will uh, come back to Der Spiegel in weeks coming and months coming as well regarding their revelations. Uh, as for us, it's time to draw this particular Transwindow podcast to a close. We would like to invite you to basically continue the debate with us because today was uh, your questions answered and you we like to answer questions that you give us, not just on the Wednesday podcast, but also um, on Twitter. And you can continue the debate with us um, we have our own Transfer Window podcast account at Transfer Podcast. Um, you can get in touch with Duncan at Duncan Castles and with me at Garbo SJ. If you love the podcast, and we know that lots of you are in love with the podcast, um, please give something back, show the love, uh, get onto iTunes, give us a five-star review as that allows us to access more people, expand our community and therefore um, enlarge debate. Um, for us, we'll be back on Friday to um, fulfil all your podcasting needs, bring you more breaking news on the transfer window and transfers that are happening, transfers that are going um, in the right direction and also things that are not going to happen as well because let's face it, a lot of you guys would like to know why the Nico Gaetan ruse is still being used by certain clubs and players. So um, give us a shout. Uh, on all the social media platforms and we will let you know and we will see you on Friday as for now it's thanks for listening